We're in the middle of a series called Common Prayers, and I'm going to read to you some of my favorite prayers. These are profound. Some of these are gut-wrenching prayers. They come from a book called Children's Letters to God. Joyce writes, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> Denise wrote, Dear God, if we come back as something, please don't let me be Jennifer Horton because I hate her. <laughs> this is my favorite. Dear God, my brother is a rat. You should give him a tail. <laughs> Peter wrote, Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. Oops. Dear God, I don't ever feel alone since I found out about you. One more. Dear God, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. That was cool. Isn't that great? Depending on how things go, I might come back to this and just read from that. So we'll see. <laughs> Once there was a pastor. He was a pastor to a new congregation, and the first Sunday he's, his message was, Love everyone. And he got some good feedback. People said that was well delivered. They liked it. Second Sunday came, and he gave the same message. And he didn't get the same response. People thought, well, maybe he's nervous. Maybe he doesn't realize he gave us that message last week. So they just let it go. Third Sunday, he gave the same message. So the board got a little concerned, and they called a special meeting, and they invited the pastor to the meeting. And one of the board members said, Pastor, you've given the same message three weeks in a row. Don't you have any other messages? And the pastor said, yeah, I have lots of messages, but I'm going to keep giving this one until we start doing it. I say that because as I was preparing this message, I started thinking, I wonder when I spoke two years ago, I wonder if I'm going to say anything that I said back then. So I pulled it up on our website where you can pull up all of our messages. And I watched myself give almost the same message I'm going to give you today. In fact, the message I spoke on then was about the words of Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And I ended with a meditation on be still, which is what I'm speaking about today. So apparently I only have one message. That's a good possibility right there. So... Be still and know that I am God. I have this, this is in my house, that very picture. I have it up in my house twice. I'm sure you've seen it framed and put up somewhere. And I wonder what comes up for you when somebody says, be still. How do you hear that? As I've asked people um, in the past couple weeks or said to them, I'm going to be speaking on being still, I had a, you know, a variety of responses. Some of them were... Yeah, that'd be good in my life, but it's not possible. Or like, that'll happen 
later. Like being still isn't for my life now. Which makes me a little sad because I think, well, maybe being still is meant for our life today. And I wonder how people hear it. Like, have parents, have you ever said that to your children? Be still? And how did that sound, do you think? What were you wanting them to do? Just probably to stop moving. And most of you were children at one time, so I imagine you remember somebody saying that to you. Be still. And so then when we read it in scripture, it almost comes across as, oh, that's that thing that somebody told me to do. So we're going to look at that a little bit today. You'll find this, if you're using the Bibles that you will put your hand up to get, it's on page 393. It's on the first column, two-thirds of the page down. That's where you're going to find it. If you look at it in your Bible, I'm not sure where it is. Before we get there, though, there's this word that shows up three times in this psalm, Psalm 46, Selah. Selah is a, word, a Hebrew word of unknown meaning. People tend to think it means that it's a musical mark, and it typically means pause or stop and think. And so it's an important word. And we're, gonna, we're actually going to do some of that today. So let's look at Psalm 46 where this... Oh, you can't even see those things, can you? So I'm going to read it to you. It starts out, For the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging... Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress Selah. So as I began to read this and study it, I, it, the impact of the imagery was huge. The earth melts at the sound of his voice. I mean, just imagine that for a moment. The earth melts just at the sound of his voice. So as I looked into it, the beginning of this says, there's some directions here. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, it's a song. So this is a song that we're talking about. And I was like, who are the sons of Korah? And because we all have access to the internet, we can find these things out pretty quickly, right? You don't have to go too far to find that out. So the sons of Korah wrote 11 of the Psalms, 
They were somehow connected with the service of song and worship. So that's important information, but it still doesn't give us enough information about who are the sons of Korah. So we're going to go back to Numbers. It's on page 92 if you're using the Bibles that we've passed out. It's called Numbers, so obviously there's going to be a lot of numbering. That sounds pretty boring, right? Um, Not the greatest title of a book where you jump out and go, oh, I want to read Numbers. So that's where we're going to go. Chapter 3. And what we find out is that the Israelites have left Egypt because they were oppressed. So they're, they're doing set up and tear down just like we did for years, right? Just like we did. <laughs> Except it wasn't quite so much like us. But that's what's happening. They're in the desert. Nathan spoke not too long ago about houses. He talked about how God lived in a tent. So that's where we're going back to. This is what the tent looked like. All the Israelites were in a tent, but they had to set this up wherever they went. So you can see this is a modern-day version of it. They've tried to recreate it. You can see there's a lot of things that go into this whole tabernacle. It wasn't just like, well, we're going to set up temp and go camping. They also were responsible for setting this up. So... Jumping ahead here. So Moses had to organize this. So he took the sons of Levi. There were three tribes. There was, say this with me, Kohath, Mirite, and Gershon. That's good, because now I don't want to be the only one mispronouncing all those names. Now you've all joined in with that. So he specifically gives them all assignments. He says, you have responsibilities of this, you have responsibilities of this, because they had to move the tabernacle wherever they went. And so in chapter 4, he takes the Kohathites and he says, your responsibility is the most holy things. The most holy things. So it's the things like the bowls, the lampstands, the lamps, the utensils, everything that, went, that was used inside the, the holy of holies, they were responsible for The thing was, they couldn't touch them. They couldn't look at them for a moment or they would be dead. Well, that went pretty quick. They'd be dead. So imagine that. You're responsible for moving this stuff, but you're not able to see it or touch it. I wonder what that would bring up for some of us. If there'd be like, why? Why can't I touch it? What's wrong with me? So they had to divide up each of the tribes how they were going to transport it. So the Gershonites got two carts and two oxen to put all their poles, tent material, and all the stuff they were going to transport went into two carts. The Mirites, they got four carts and two oxen to haul all their stuff wherever they went. So the Kohathites, they have to be thinking... They got two carts, they got four carts, we're hauling around the most holy things, so certainly we're going to get maybe a van, (laughs) right? Because we've got the most holy things, so carts, we've got a van, right? And the answer to that is no. No van, no carts, no truck, no oxen, nothing. They're going to carry it on their shoulders, Imagine that, when we made our little 
transition to this building if Nathan said, okay, we're going to haul everything over there. Who's got trucks? And then, well, the stuff that you're going to haul, you carry that. Carry that stuff over to where we're going to be. That was, that was the message they got. So their doing teardown and setup is a little bit different than our teardown and setup, and that can wear on you, right? So it's actually, imagine this. This is how they knew when they were going to stay and when they were going to go. It was depending on the cloud. Not the cloud that we all talk about nowadays where you store things. This is a different cloud. This is a cloud that if you woke up in Lincoln today and the cloud was here yesterday, but you woke up today and it's in Sacramento, guess what you're doing? You're packing up, putting everything in your carts, and you're walking to Sacramento. Except the, the Kohathites, they're walking with something on their shoulders, right? The most holy things. And then if the cloud the very next morning is in Placerville, you load up again and go. If it then ends up in Nevada somewhere out in the desert, you might end up camping there for months, maybe a year, and you just stay. I don't know about you, but when I'm following directions, I like to know what's next, what's next. Not, well, wherever the cloud is. So what would that require of these people? A lot of faith, right? Not only faith in God, but faith in Moses and Aaron that they're really listening to God and doing the right thing. So they have to carry it all on their shoulders. What do you think people do after a while? They get tired, and they start to complain. So in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, The people complained about their hardships. God's response was, Fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of camp. I mean, God wasn't fooling around in the beginning of this journey. He's like, you complain, I'm going to send down some fire, just on the outskirts, just to get your attention. Chapter 11, verse 4 says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And we, we come on, we got some rabble in here, right? They, amen. They crave, some of you crave for other food. The Israelites were saying, they started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Like that. Amen. And the Lord became exceedingly angry. In chapter 14, it says, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And God's response was, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. And every time God said this to Moses, that I'm going to strike this assembly down, Moses dropped on his face and interceded for the assembly, for the community, every time. But in chapter 16, Korah, Dathan, and Abram became insolent and rose up against Moses and said, you've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? So only we can touch these things, not you. Only we can look at them, not you. And they started to complain like, wait, wait a minute, we're holy too. We should be able to touch and see. So what they were doing was 
grumbling and complaining, a total lack of humility and trust. They were pretty much just saying, who puts you in charge? And I wonder when they were saying that, if this slide might have helped them a little bit if they just understood that, you know, your complaining is going to get some fire from God. So maybe you should stop that. What happened was Moses said to them, okay, let's do this. Let's come together tomorrow morning and we'll pray and we'll see what God does. We'll see who he chooses. And they were so angry, they said, nope, we're not showing up. God's like, I want to destroy all these people. Moses interceded. And he runs to everybody's tent because God says, separate yourselves from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. Say to the assembly, move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Can you imagine that? Moses running to tents going, move away, move away. This is God's response then when people started moving away. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled shouting, the earth is going to swallow us up. I bet they did, right? Scared to death. So numbers isn't so boring anymore, is it? It's just not about numbers. And the thing is in chapter, in the very next thing that happens when the Israelites wake up in the morning, they don't praise God. They don't go, okay, Moses, Aaron, we're with you. What they do is they come to Moses and Aaron and they blame them. And they say, you have killed God's people. What do you think God's response was to that? Fire. He, yeah, fire. <laughs> God, God. Well, he wanted to send a plague and wipe out the whole assembly. And Moses did what he always did. He fell on his face. He prayed. And he sent Aaron because the plague had started. And Moses sends Aaron running through the assembly to stop the plague. And I love this verse that says, Aaron ran to the middle of the assembly and stood between the living and the dead. Isn't that a powerful image? That's what that book should have been called, standing between... In, in the midst of the living and the dead. That would have been awesome. So if we go all the way back to number or forward to Numbers 26, we find out that the line of Korah, however, did not die out. He and his family did, but the whole line of them did not. Seven generations later, we read in 1 Chronicles, these are the men David put in charge of the music in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest there. The son of Korah and his fellow gatekeepers from his family were responsible for guarding the thresholds of the tent just as their ancestors had been responsible for guarding the entrance to the dwelling of the Lord. So, in Psalm 46.3, we read, Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, Selah. 
He utters his voice and the earth melts. Be still and know that I am God. Do you see how the sons of Korah are looking back over generations to their ancestors about what happened to them? And they wrote these psalms. You know some of these. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. And I love this. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Do you see what happened there is showing up in Psalm 84? From catastrophe in the wilderness to worship leaders sounds a lot like restoration, don't you think? It's incredible. And it makes me think, I wonder, how many of us are going through right now maybe little catastrophes? Maybe large catastrophes. Maybe it feels like the biggest catastrophe you're going through. And I wonder what restoration is just, just beyond, just there if we are still. So in light of this, seeing where Psalm 46 came from, what does be still actually mean? And how exactly or what exactly should become still? So literally, I looked this up just, just to help us out a little bit. Literally, be still means this, to calm yourself down. It, it's not giving you permission to go say that to people, so I want to make sure you don't do that. Don't leave here or go around telling people, calm yourself down. But it literally is, calm yourself down. So when you are stressed over your job and your your family situation or illnesses or aspirations or things are not the way you want them to be, God is saying, calm yourself down, be still. In the book of Mark, most of you are probably familiar with the story where Jesus and the disciples are on a boat and a storm comes and Jesus is sleeping, right? That's a common story. And we all understand that the disciples get afraid, stressed out, worried, and so they wake Jesus up, and then he says to the waves, quiet, be still. And because I have a strange way of looking at scripture sometimes, not the most theologically sound, I wonder, well, Jesus didn't have to even speak to get the waves to calm down. He could have just thought that, right? And it would have happened. He didn't have to do that just to show him he has power and mastery over the elements because he's done that in other areas. And I wonder if he was actually doing that to them, like saying to them, be still. And the waves was just like collateral impact because the waves obeyed Jesus also. They literally were coming to him and saying, do you want us to die? Did you bring us out to this lake to die? which sounds a lot like the Israelites in the wilderness saying to Moses and Aaron, did you bring us out here to kill us? It also means hush, 
This is one of those door things I had at a hotel in Rhode Island. I thought it was so cool that I asked them if I could keep it. So it's that do not disturb sign. I love that. Be still means hush, literally. But again, say it to yourself. Don't go around telling people that. It also means drop your hands. So like whatever you have a death grip on, let go of it. Whatever that is, your anxiety, your fear, your frustrations, your hurts, let it go. Be still. It also means it's addressing murmuring, because this is what they were doing. They were murmuring out in the desert. Some of you know how to do this pretty well. I think I do this. So it literally means stop and be still, because there's always this if you keep murmuring. And we don't want that, right? So how? I, it wouldn't be enough just to say, go be still. So how can we become still? So I'm going to share some things that help me, but these are not the only things. These are for me that I'm sharing with you. You could certainly try them, but it's on you to find something that works for you. So the question becomes, how will we be able to become still in moments or days when we least want to be still? Because just when you're relaxed, you don't need to be still. It's in the moments when you really don't want to be, that you need to be. So, this idea that we become what we practice. So if you practice, you put a lot of effort, or no effort, just a lot of time into being anxious, you become anxious. If you put a lot of time into being afraid, you become afraid. So you, you become what you practice. And many of us have a lot of voices going on in our head. Not voices like, you know, telling us to do bad things and stuff like that. Not like uh, really bad voices. Maybe we do. I don't know. Voices that say, you know, listen to this. This political party's right. The other one's wrong. This person's right. The other one's wrong. Um, you're a bad person. Or you should be afraid of this. Or why didn't you do life like this? Or why haven't you done more with your life? Are you familiar with some of those voices? Some of those just keep coming at us, and so we have to try to still those voices. That's where you could say, hush, to those, to that noise in your head. So you can find something like this online. You could type into your phones, breathe, G-I-F, and this is what will come up. This is one easy way to help you breathe when you least want to breathe to practice. So you can see, you breathe in, it's a deep breath in, you hold it for a moment, and then you let it out. There's a rabbi that says that one of the reasons they do not pronounce God's name in, in the um, rabbinical tradition is because it's unpronounceable. And the reason it's unpronounceable is because it's all vowels. And you would hurt yourself if you tried to pronounce something that's all vowels. So he, he says, God's name is literally the sound you make when you breathe. And we breathe 24 hours a day, right? When you go to sleep and you don't think about breathing, you're breathing. When you're walking around doing your everyday life, 
your breathing. We don't think much about it until we have trouble with it. But imagine that. What if our breathing is actually all the time we're just saying God's name? Every breath you take is God's name. So this is one thing that helps me. I built a labyrinth in my backyard. Um, it's not some weird new age thing for me, so don't freak out. Uh, but I started this at a time when I actually was going through a mess in my life. And I walked a labyrinth not knowing what it was and found out that it calms me. It helps me slow down because you pretty much need to walk that slow. So it becomes this walking meditation and prayer for me. And if I don't do that, then I start doing all those other things in my everyday life, which isn't good. So I need that to help me be still. You can do this. I've programmed in my phone throughout the day. Every day I get a little reminder to be still and to breathe. It comes up several times a day. It doesn't really, you know, I just see it and I go, oh yeah, that's right. I need to do this. If I don't do it now when I actually need it, I won't have any practice in how to do it. So I have to do this. Literally, it's practicing outside the moment so you will use it in the moment when you need it. It's also on my water, which is really strange. I got this bottle of water and I was drinking it and I realized it actually says still right there. Like somebody's figured out this is what people need. They need reminders to be still. Above all else, guard your heart. So these are connected in this way. We have a door here and we have a door there. Five minutes before the service starts, those doors get locked. We have people responsible for watching the clock and making sure five minutes before the service, no one comes through that door. And if you, if you show up late, then you go around to the front and you walk in the back of this room. And what that does is it keeps the disruptions down, minimal. And you can feel it. Where we were previously in the gymnasium and where we are now, it's quiet. It's still. If we didn't have that, people could walk in and disrupt what we're doing here. And I would propose to you we need that. We, we all need that for ourselves. Who's at the guard of your heart? Who's keeping out the news that is like 24 hours a day, bad news? Um, 24 hours a day of arguing my point of view. Who's at the guard of your heart to make sure that doesn't come in? I doubt many of you would leave your front door open and just say, you know what, if you have an opinion, come on in and yell it at me. I'm, I'm okay with that. I think they call that Facebook now. Um, <laughs> So we need to do that. We need to have a guard for our heart, for all sorts of things. So I've given you a little bit of history. I've given you a little bit of perspective of where this idea of being still came from, what it means. 
And I hope that you would see that we need this. We need this. Not just me, not just you. Our, our greater community needs to see us not doing those other things, but being still. So when we're in the midst of crisis, they can see, oh, you're different. You don't get caught up in the crisis. So what we need to do is practice to be able to actively pursue stillness in a noisy, busy life. So this isn't, I'm not trying to encourage all of you to become um, monks and monkesses, but to go, how can I create some sort of ongoing practice so that in the chaos, it doesn't throw me? So here's one way. I, I love to imagine this when I have trouble being still, to imagine climbing up into God's lap and resting my head on his chest, not asking him anything, not praising him for anything. Parents, think of this. Don't you love those moments when your children, either if they're little now or when they were little, when they just climbed up on your lap, asked nothing of you? and they were quiet, and they fell asleep just leaning on you, and you thought, this is great. And I wonder how often God just wants that from us. Don't ask me for anything, because I'll do that, but don't praise me for anything, because I like that too, but just be with me. That's what I want, I just want you to be with me. So, as this comes to a conclusion, here's a key point. A good idea is meaningless without action. This message that I just gave you, meaningless unless you do something about it. I recently spent a couple days with a, a really good friend of mine on the Columbia River, and I shared with him this message. And my friend tends to um, get stuck on a thought, and then we just keep talking about it and talking all the different perspectives of it. So it got to a point where the next morning I was like, I'm done talking about being still. But we kept thinking about, well, what about in this situation? How are you still in this situation? What does that mean in this situation? I would hope that's what happens to you, that this week you go home in your everyday life and you think about, how should I be still? Does it mean I stop complaining? Does it mean that I need to just be quiet? Does it mean I need to let my hands drop and let go of something? That would be incredible. I'm going to end with this peace. We're about to offer the peace to each other. It is not about being in a place where there is no noise, conflict, or disruption. It's about being in the midst of those things and still be calm in your heart. That would be the goal. We need to do things like this to shut the door so there's not too many disruptions so that we can be in the chaos and still be still in our hearts. And it's hard. <laughs> Last night, I was in a casino. <laughs> Never thought I'd say that to you. <laughs> but I was um, seeing a concert at the theater. And there was... Noise, bells, buzzers, smoke, it, it, the exact opposite of this. And I walked through there thinking, I can't, I can't stand being in this place. Everything in here speaks to me about get away. 
And I keep thinking what I need to keep working on is to be able to walk through there and not have it impact me at all. To be able to hold that sense of calm. It is a practice, ongoing. So, let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we um, continue this service and then leave today and throughout the week and throughout our lives, that we would seek to be still so that we would know you, that we would know you, that we would know peace. Amen. Stand with me, please. I have a friend that shared this with me a, a few months ago. He was asking somebody to give him some advice about next step, steps in his life. And this person who was counseling him said to him, Bill, you have an embarrassment of riches in your life. It was talking about his family, his job situation, his, um, his goals for the future. He said, you have an embarrassment of riches. He wasn't talking about finances. And that just struck me so powerfully. We have an embarrassment of riches. The Kohathites had an embarrassment of riches that they were carrying, and they had no idea the embarrassment of riches that they were carrying. I hope that's not us. I hope what we carry, we know, are the riches that God has bestowed upon us. So may you receive a blessing. May you find a place to practice and be still. May you find that stillness even now as we move and offer peace to each other. In Jesus' name, amen.